Welcome back to Pursuing Justice. I'm Harriet Hendel. Our theme this month has been women who are incarcerated and also pregnant. We spoke to Amy Ard um, for a couple of our podcasts, who is founder and director of an organization in Atlanta called Motherhood Beyond Bars. And today we are pleased again to have Vanessa Garrett return to talk some more about the organization and her role. Uh, she is the program director of this nonprofit and she spent time in prison um, with uh, having children outside of prison that were raised by her family. So she, uh, she is going to tell us some more today about the organization and also uh, tell us um, if people want to help out how they can do that. So welcome back, Vanessa. Thank you for having me again. <laughs> All right. So we, we spoke a, a lot about um, your time in prison, uh, how you um, met Amy Ard and became involved with the organization. Um, so I, I'm trying to, uh, to think where we can start again. Um, give, give our listeners an idea of how many mothers are we talking about here? that Motherhood Beyond Bars deals with at any given time? So we estimate that at least 50 women a year will have a baby while in prison. So not even necessarily in county level. We do deal with women in county level as well. So we have been doing this program for about four to five years. It originally was founded in 2013. Amy Yard came in 2018. So just based I upon see. those four years is about 200 mm. women. Um, some women after amount of time do say, listen, I'm good. Don't need you anymore. Don't have to worry about me. And they check in from time to time. So they're no longer like on our quote unquote caseload. I, I deal with about 75 women actively right now. Um, these women are mothers who have had a baby while they were inside. Some are inside, some are outside. Mm -hmm. I deal with all of their caregivers and children as well. So on a monthly basis, it's a little over 300 people that mm -hmm. we deal with as a team. Some families have multiple caregivers, um, babies that were passed from one person to another person to another person um, prior to our caregiver program since we've had had our caregiver program where we provide the support of the diapers and the wipes and the formula um, as we can. Um, diapers and wipes are guaranteed every month. We do formula as we have it in donations. Um, but now that we have started that program, we have seen families stay whole. This baby is not being passed around so much. This baby is with the one family. That's good. Now, you don't actually visit the moms in prison. Um, do you, you contact them mainly by mail or phone? How does that so, work? So we're not allowed to visit women in prison. If we go in prison to visit the women, we cannot have contact with their families, nor can we provide reentry support. Oh. Um, the Georgia Department of Corrections fears that we will become too involved with the families and, and do things inappropriate, like bring in contraband mm -hmm. or what have you. So our contact with the women's is via email. Mm -hmm. um, the JPay system um, is via telephone and via mail. 
and you can't call them, they have to call you, correct? They have to call us, that's right. correct. Unless they're at the transitional center and they have access to oh. a cell phone at that time, we can then communicate back and forth. I see. Um, photos you had mentioned last time are such a big part of keeping that connection alive between moms and their babies. Are there video visits as well? Yes, there are video visits, and we do facilitate those for families. It's very hard because you have to have an actual laptop or a computer in order to do a video visit, so it won't work on an iPad, a tablet, or a phone. Mm -hmm. um, we do deal with a lot of families that live below the poverty level, so having access to a computer is very hard. But what I do offer is when I go in person to meet with the caregiver, um, to check supplies and see how things are going in the home, that we schedule a video visit at that time, I'll bring my laptop and at least they have that communication. They have that opportunity to see their baby move live and actually see and talk to their caregiver live rather than just over the phone or over the email. Makes all the difference. Now, you, you say that there are 75 women. Um, are you talking about throughout the state of Georgia? Because you just deal with Georgia, of course. But yeah. how, how, how spread out are all these caregivers and, and uh, families and everything? So our caregivers are not only in the state of Georgia. The mom has committed a crime in Georgia. Mm -hmm. um, we have a caregiver in California. We have some in Tennessee, Florida, Alabama, North Carolina. So our caregivers are not limited to the state of Georgia. The mother has committed the crime in Georgia, and she is serving her time in Georgia. Wow. So how, how difficult is that? To So you're mailing, then, if, if you're talking about Florida or California mailing the diapers formula? How, how does that work? Exactly. We are mailing the diapers, the wipes, the formula. If the family doesn't have a car seat, um, one thing we can say is all babies born in the prison system are born at one hospital, which is about 25 minutes from where I live. Mm -hmm. So if there's a caregiver that at the last minute, realized they needed a car seat, um, thought they had a car seat, didn't have one, we'll meet them at the hospital with a car seat. Other than that, we do do a preliminary check um, about three weeks before the baby's expected to come to make sure that there's a car seat, a safe sleeping space, and things like that in the home. And when we realize there isn't, uh, we do try to, to meet that need. All babies picked up come with a safe sleeping space, a week supply of diapers, wipes, formula, toiletries. Um, everything is provided by us. When the caregiver picks the baby up with the hospital, there's everything they need for a little over a week. And then we contact them in the first week and see, okay, what size diaper? We're sending you out a month's supply of diapers and wipes. Um, what else can we help out with in the meantime? And that is done by mail because... Yeah. Now, all of what you just said, none of that is cheap, right? No, no. I mean, I just Including had a baby. Including the mail. Right? Exactly. I was saying I just had a baby and, you know, I was questioned like, why did I decide to get pregnant this late in life? Why am I having a baby? And I believe it was to bring to the front of, the mi of my mind, like how expensive these things are. <laughs> Diapers are $50. <gasps> No. A month. Wipes can be up to $30 a month. 
formula, my baby's breastfed, but just looking at the cost of formula, we're talking about $30 a week. Mm. Um, so just things like that clothes are not expensive and the babies grow out of them so fast. Right. Toys, toiletries, soap, solutions. It's, it's a ridiculous amount of money that these families are asked to come up with. And it's not covered by by food stamps, like a lot of our families live below the poverty level. So it's unfair to say, yes, you're getting food stamps, but you have to come up with $75 a month for diapers and wipes. And there are, has been talk about having um, diapers and wipes as part of the food benefit amount, but that's $75 less in food that this family is going to be able to have a month, which is, which is a lot of money. So we're not going to ask our families to, to pay for their diapers or wipes. Like we are generously happy to provide that just to keep the family whole. Yeah. But where does this money come from that you are spending on these supplies and the mailing? Where does all that money come from? From donations. Donations. And so anybody listening, how would, if they are touched by your story, uh, and I certainly hope so, how can they help? They can go directly to our website, www.motherhoodbeyond.org, and there's a link on there um, that just asks for donations, and they can donate in any monetary amount. They can also contact us at info at motherhoodbeyond.org and see what other supplies that we can need or other resources that we could use, and we'd be more than happy to to receive any because it's a lot it's very hard so so mostly it's it it's money i mean someone can't send you diapers that's pretty difficult i would guess the money is the best because then you choose how to spend it right yes and you know so sending diapers it's hard to say um what what need we're at like we had a, a diaper drive where um diapers all size one and size two were, were donated, which every baby will use at some point in time. But the majority of our families were in five and six at this time. So it's it's easier if, they're, if they wanted to make an in-kind donation of an actual item to contact us first to see right. how they can fill the need that we're facing right now. Sure. Well, that's great. I hope that uh, you will, uh, you know, touch people enough that they will send, send a donation. Can you give us some, maybe some specific stories about a few of the mothers um, without mentioning names? And I I was also wondering how young is the youngest mother and how old is the oldest mother? Just to give me a a range of ages. So when you say how old is the oldest mother, you mean at the time that she um, had her baby or at her current age now? At the time she had the baby. So our oldest mother was 38. um, And our youngest mother um, was 20. We do have a 19 year old that is pregnant now. And we are in contact. We are in contact with a a child who is 16 at the juvenile center who is pregnant and waiting to be sentenced. I see. So you'll help her. Of course. Right. Of course. So are there really some wonderful stories about um, a mother having to give up her baby to a caregiver, hopefully a family member, and and the reunification and 
you know, and beyond? Do you have a, a story or two to tell us? Yeah. So I do not believe there's any beautiful story in having to give your baby up Agreed. right after you have the baby. That's, but that's true. In terms of reunification, um, you know, the one mother who we studied um, who sang all the time to her baby um, that I had mentioned at the last time we met when, um, when she came home, she was like so upset and she's like, V, she doesn't know me. She won't come to me. She won't let me hug her. And she was just crying so bad. And I said, well, what was that song that she used to sing to her? And she said, what do you mean? I said, you used to ask me to send you extra stamps so you can send her a videogram. I said, what was that song? I said, can you sing that song to her? And she was just crying and she started singing it. And she's like, V, she's coming to me. I said, she's coming to you. She's like, she's walking to me because, you know, the mom was upset and just, you know, the baby was with the grandmother. And that was how they began building their relationship. She would wake up in the morning and she would say good morning to the baby and then start singing the song and the baby would get excited. And mm -hmm. that's how they grew to know each other. And from her story, I began sharing that with other mothers. And now we have another mother who's getting ready to come out and she's at the transitional center and she's able to do video visits um, through like regular FaceTime on her phone. And she'll call the caregiver and, and have a FaceTime with the baby and the baby's not interested and she'll start singing that song and the baby responds instantly, like looks up and claps and tries to sing back. So we know that when that mom goes home, if there is any type of um, concerning or a difficulty getting them to to bond instantly that the mom will be able to sing and the baby's guard will be down and be more receptive to that. Oh, that's great. Now, um, what is the length of the sentences in general? Because I'm, you know, we've got all these 75 women, everyone is different. But generally speaking, are these sentences short, relatively short? And what happens if the sentence is a very long one? So we have had moms who were released um, seven days after giving birth, oh. um, five days after giving birth three months after giving birth, um, even moms who were released like days before giving birth. So these sentences are, are relatively short. We do have some that do have longer sentences. We have one with a 30-year sentence, um, one with a 10-year sentence, uh, maybe three or four with a five-year sentence, but the majority of our, of our mothers have a sentence that requires less than a year inside prison. That's terrific. Well, that's really good. Well, that's now, horrible if you ask me because, you know, these women should be allowed the opportunity to have their baby at yeah. home if their sentence is so short. Yeah, why, well, that's certainly true. Yeah. Why um, disrupt that bond? The baby has smelled the mom, heard the mom's voice, learned the mom's movements. And the baby is the one that's really traumatized by being ripped from the mom and then puts in a foreign place. I believe if a woman's sentence is that short that, you know, something should be done to encourage less trauma on that baby. Point well taken. You're absolutely right about that. I'm very, very glad you, you said that. I, I, I guess I'm thinking, you know, the longer sentences, I do know women who spent many, many, many years and uh, you know, much of the child's life uh, in 
in prison. So, so I agree with you. Uh, how how do you how do you get that changed? That's that's a, a long process, I would think. Right. It is a long process. Um, we are advocates, and we do help with legislation in making that change possible. Um, you know, there. The system is set up to make money, so not sending moms to prison is going to hurt the system. Mm -hmm. But in the long run, it hurt. It helps society. It helps society to keep that mom home, to keep her with her baby, um, to help that baby grow and mature without having all the adverse childhood um, effects on the baby, you know. Um, and that's the, the best thing that I could offer is advocacy. You know, we also have an advocacy portion on our web page for people who are interested in writing legislation and helping put together bills. Um, at one point in time, women were shackled um, while they were pregnant going to doctor's visits. And because of people active in the community um, and advocating for women, that's no longer a thing. Um, so just people being aware of what goes on in their community and advocating to help. Now, you mentioned shackling. We talked a little bit about it, uh, Amy, when Amy was on. Um, is that um, not uh, legal any longer in the state of Georgia? That is yeah. not legal. Um, once a woman enters her second trimester, she cannot be shackled. She cannot be forced to squat and cough. Um, she cannot have a vaginal exam unless it's for... Um, medical purposes, um, and she cannot be held in solitary confinement um, for observation reasons. So that happens from the second trimester all the way up to six weeks postpartum. That's great. Now, you, you mentioned legislation. What else, uh, and, and the role of, of the organization, what other aspects of the law would you be advocating for uh, as an organization when it comes to women? Um, just judges to use better discernment when sentencing a mother. Um, so if it's a mother that has um, a drug charge, sending like an alternative sentence, send her to a sobriety home. There are sobriety homes that allow pregnant women to go to get parenting classes, to take sober courses, and mandate her to complete the, the sobriety home rather than sending her to prison because she can get the tools that she needs to be a successful citizen as well as the tools she needs to be a great mother. And it prevents the trauma of separating the infant from, from the mom. Right, right. So just judge using better discernment when sentencing. If you realize, oh, we're going to give her six months and she's, uh, you know, four months pregnant, like that doesn't really seem logical. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying give longer sentences. I'm just saying give alternatives to yeah. sentencing. There, and there always are alternatives. Um, I asked Amy this, I asked you as well. In Georgia, there are no what we call mother baby nurseries where the mother can keep her baby for about a year and a half. And, and from what I know, what I've read, only nine prisons in the women's prisons in the nation allow that which is very few. Um, what is your feeling about the mother-baby nurseries inside a prison? If, if a woman 
has to do a prison sentence and you cannot offer an alternative to prison, I believe that that is less traumatic on the infant, the the prison nurseries. I believe that the prison, the baby gets to stay with what it's comfortable with. It has the mother sent. It has the opportunity to nurse. It, it has the mom present. Everything that the baby has learned for the past nine months is still there. Everything the baby found comfort in for the last nine months is still there. So if there is no alternative to sentencing and a mother has to go to prison, I do believe that that is a good alternative um, to promoting wellness for the mom and for the baby as well. But unfortunately, Georgia is not one of those states, right? No, Georgia is not one of those states. They don't even have a, a lactation program. There's another state, um, Alabama, which does offer the opportunity for mothers to pump their breast milk and send it home. Oh. Yes, and which is amazing because breast milk is more so a medicine than a food, if you think about it. And a lot of the women in our program have access about that. Can I just, can I just pump the milk and send it home? You know, they're, they've had previous children and they know the benefits of breast milk. And also with the formula shortage, um, a lot of moms are concerned and and want to do that for their babies. And Georgia just is not willing But if they did, it would be the caregiver who would come to the prison? How how would that work? We would make sure it worked. You would. We would. We would make sure that all the equipment, the freezer, the nursing bags, the pumps, the family, we would take care of everything. We just need um, Georgia Department of Corrections to have a place for moms to do it. Right. We would take care of everything. So is that something possibly that you would be working on to change, you know, uh, in the legislature? That is definitely something uh, we are working on. It doesn't even have to change with legislation. It just has to change with the prison system itself. Yeah. All the women after they have the baby go to one facility and they are at that facility for at least six to eight weeks. So while they are at that one facility, um, Give the baby the op- the mom the opportunity to pump milk for their baby, and we will take care of everything. And why not? It's a simple request, right? Yep. All the women are in the same dorm. Like it's it's very yeah, very seems easy. very simple. Um, I want we're almost out of time, but I, I wanted to ask you because I, I really haven't. Um, when we talk or you talk about caregivers, who are generally speaking? the caregivers that step in when a baby has to be taken from the mom? Family. Um, 95% are family. Misconception is uh, Department of Family Children Services comes and gets the baby from the hospital. And and that's not what happens. We find out the mom is pregnant. We ask her who does she want to take care of her baby. We contact that person and make sure everything's okay. Um, Georgia Department of Corrections just has the mom write down a name, address, and phone number. So if she doesn't if she doesn't have a family member, but she knows her, her postal lady's name, address, and phone number, she just writes down that information on a sheet of paper. It goes in an envelope. After she has the baby, the hospital staff calls that number and says, come pick up the baby. I see. So 95% of our babies in our program are with family. other family. That's fantastic. That's really great. Well, we are just about out of time. I wanted you to uh, tell our listeners one more time 
how they can help your wonderful organization if they would like to donate. Yes, the best way to help would be visiting our website at www.motherhoodbeyond.org or they can email us at info at motherhoodbeyond.org. And like I said earlier, we accept financial donations or gifts, but we do request that you call before you mail us a gift just to make sure it's what we really need at the time. Very good. Well, thank you so much, Vanessa, for your time today, for sharing your own story and for shining a light on this entire uh, issue and also shining a light on motherhood beyond uh, bars, beyond, yeah, motherhood beyond bars. And I wanted just to mention our next uh, podcast, our series, will be featuring Rachel Lopez from Drexel University in Philadelphia. She runs the Andy and Gwen Stern Lawyering Clinic, and we'll see her next time. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Vanessa, again for sharing your story with us and all the very best to you and your wonderful organization. And this Thank you is, for having me. This is Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to my podcast today. You have been listening to Pursuing Justice on Society Bites Radio. And I'm your host, Harriet.